0: Hey students, uh, we're back, gonna talk about the coming of the Civil War. So if you have your slides up on that, that would be great. We're gonna jump to slide number five. You're gonna see that uh, there's a timeline there that indicates that 1820 roughly is when uh, things are heating up Regarding to the issue of slavery, it's been, we've already talked about this in numerous lectures, that it was obviously before 1820, but the Compromise of 1820 was one of those milestone or turning points in this discussion about the institution of slavery. The one that I'm not going to talk about that I'd like you to do some research on, just reading in your textbook, is the Mexican-American War. Uh, Understand what the Mexican-American War is about and how it influences the actual war itself, the Civil War, okay? And that happened in 1846 to 1848, okay? So if we go back to slide number three, which is the Mission Possible essay question, uh, there are many causes for the uh, Civil War. Um, as I always go over, you know or or try to reference at least three of them you should have a good understanding of so we'll go over at least three of them in this i won't go over all of them who are the you know who are the key actors and what is the main cause well i've got a video on that that i think will help us determine what's going on there okay so look over the uh, slides here but let's jump into slide number six and we'll just kind of cherry pick some of these things so what do I mean, uh, presidents to remember? Uh, these are people that you probably have never heard of, and there's probably a good reason you've never heard of them. Um, their nicknames collectively are doe faces. Uh, that's a derogatory term. And these presidents are all one-term presidents, and they're not very effective. So where we had strong leadership with George Washington uh, you know, during the American Revolution and into the founding of the government... We have really weak leadership prior to the Civil War throughout the 1850s. Uh, one of them, Zachary Taylor, could probably be given a pass here because he passed away while he was in an office. Maybe he would have been a good president, we don't really know. But the rest of them are pretty incompetent here. So let's jump to the Compromise of 1850. We've heard about Henry Clay several different co- times, most notably for the Missouri Compromise. He is going to be the uh, brainchild between uh, behind the Compromise of 1850. This time, he's going to set the table for what I'll call newbies in all this to really take uh, take it to another level. Henry Clay has run for uh, the presidency five times and has lost each and every time. There's a picture of that him there with the kind of a snide com- comment about his hair. Uh, but you know, if you are going to get a picture taken, you might want to get a haircut. Okay, so the new guy, the newbie that <clears throat> that uh, takes the compromise to a different level is Stephen A. Douglas, and Stephen A. Douglas is from the state of Illinois. He's a senator, uh, and he makes basically three ideas, and he, these ideas are designed to try to gain support by both people that are anti-slavery. And that are pro-slavery. Okay, the first of those uh, ending the slave trade in the District of Columbia, which is Washington D.C., is obviously for those people that are anti-slavery. Popular sovereignty uh, basically says both sides should win in this. You should vote uh, on this issue instead of the government telling you what to do. So today, that's kind of a movement in this like populist. Is the people say what they really want? Okay, and I'll explain that further as we get along. <clears throat> the slave, the few vet, few, slave the fugitive, fugitive, sorry, uh, law is embedded in this, and it says that if the person leaves, if slave runs away and um, is captured, he is not only the slave is not only to be returned, but that person that helped him run away or was giving him uh, aid or um, uh, allowing him to live with them uh, would also be penalized in all of this. Okay, so let's take an example of that. And the next slide is this backlash. And this backlash is that it really, this fugitive slave law allowed slave owners to go up north and then Uh, New York and Boston and any other city and say, that's my slave, I need them back and uh, if, again, if you were not going to support them, you might be fined in all of this. There wasn't a lot of slaves returned in it, but about 332 of them were returned based on this. Um, One of them was a guy named Anthony Burns. Uh, Anthony Burns was in Boston when they captured him and the people were really distraught about this, and they tried to do everything they could to prevent Anthony from coming back. Eventually, they actually purchased his freedom, which was $1,300, a lot of money back then. Okay, uh, Franklin Pierce, who was the president of the United States at the time, actually called out the Marines to bring Burns back to the South, which cost the federal government about $100,000. So, it's very divisive here, okay? <clears throat> the uh one of the people that was in, also important to this uh leading up to the Civil War was a lady named Harriet Beecher Stowe. She was uh an author and she lived for a time period in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is just across the river from Kentucky. She saw a lot of slaves. Cross over the river. She also supported uh, slaves that crossed over the river, and she wrote about the experiences that she heard in a book that she originally titled Life Among the Lowly, uh, which is better known as Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh, this book was kind of like Common Sense by Thomas Paine. It sold really well. It pulled back the curtain for a lot of people to say, wow, this is what slavery really looks like, which was really really disturbing for them, and influenced kind of the narrative on this. If you see a picture of an ear, ear, um, that was actually somebody after reading this or hearing about it, a slave owner actually cut off his slave's ear and mailed it to her, which only confirmed what she was saying was was correct. Okay, uh, <clears throat> the Kansas Nebraska Act. And then I'm going to jump around a little bit. Kansas-Nebraska Act. Uh, Once again, Stephen A. Douglas is involved in this. And he wants this route, this railroad route, to go through Illinois because it will be beneficial to actually him because he owns property in Chicago. And um, so he'd like this route to go through there. So he's going to compromise, which is what we've talked about in politics, you should compromise he said, "This Kansas-Nebraska Territory, which you can see on the map there, pretty huge. Um, that they should be able to vote against this popular sovereignty. So, forget about that line that the Missouri Compromise said. Just why don't you vote? New territories they come into the country, they vote on the issue of slavery or not slavery. Okay, this really fractionalizes these parties and causes what they call." Bleeding Kansas and all of this. I'm going to skip over Bleeding Kansas. You can read through that. Also, skip over violence in Congress and the Dred Scott decision. I'll talk more about that on uh, the next um, our next Collaborate call. And I'm going to jump to the 1858 debates between Stephen A. Douglas and a guy that nobody's ever heard of, Abraham Lincoln. Well, at the time, they really didn't know who he was. Lincoln had already been in politics as a one-term representative, uh, but then had been voted out. He's very critical of uh, the President Polk and his stance on the Mexican-American War. Well, there are um, seven debates throughout uh, 1858, and you can see them listed on the map. Uh, There's markers for each one of these. This is the most famous debate in American history. Um, Douglas and Lincoln went around the state, and they were both running for Senate. Uh, Douglas had already been a senator, so he was trying to be reelected, and Lincoln was trying to be elected uh, for the first time. Douglas has a straightforward argument. Popular sovereignty is where it's at. He does denounce the Dred Scott decision based on a fact that he should, he says that they've gone too far, but he says that Lincoln is talking about equality, okay? And there's a quote by him that is pretty straightforward. Uh, It's very racist in today's terms, but not so back then, okay? Lincoln says that he thinks that, you know, slavery is morally, socially, and politically wrong, but he does not express that uh, African Americans are equal, okay? In the end, he loses this election, but he wins because he becomes this well-known national candidate, okay? People are going to take notice of him because of this. Harper's Ferry is where everything changes. Uh, John Brown takes over a uh, federal arsenal in Harper's Ferry, which is in West Virginia today. He believes that he's going to start a slave rebellion. Uh, Unfortunately for him, uh, slaves did not come or did not hear him or did not get his invitation. And John Brown was hung on December 2nd, 1859 for treason uh, against the state, which is a little bit odd. Attending that uh, hanging was a guy named John Wilkes Booth, whom you might have heard of. Uh, but John Brown, by this time, says that the war is inevitable, and he's probably, probably accurate on this. In the end, uh, the Southern Confederate Army really gets going after John's Brown and right, his death. Uh, the review the causes. Hopefully, you have a good idea of at least three causes. All right, the election is pretty interesting of 1860. The Democrats. Uh, first try to have Holden um, their um, their campaign in um, Charleston, South Carolina, <clears throat> but after 59 ballots, they actually uh, fail to nominate anybody. They try again in Baltimore, Maryland. They nominate Douglas, Stephen A. Douglas, but a lot of their delegates actually leave. Uh, they also start a new political party called the Constitutional Union Party out of this, uh, and the Republicans, which is a n- pretty new party in, during the 1850s, very new party, held theirs convention in Chicago at what's called the Wigwam. There's a placard down there in Chicago that that tells us where that was located. And they nominate Abraham Lincoln, who is considered to be you know, a newbie guy that did really well in his debates, known nationally now, but is a moderate, isn't an extremist on the issue of slavery. He may disagree with slavery, but he doesn't necessarily see his role as ending slavery. And he's from Illinois, which means that he's from a new territory, and they're trying to get those votes from that area. You can see that political cartoons indicate that he and, um, if you can tell this, um, Frederick Douglass are tearing apart the uh, map, the United States, while others are trying to fix things. Okay, Lincoln does win, but look at the map closely. Where does he win? He wins the northern states. Those in the South did not vote for him. In fact, he was not even on the ballot in the South. You'd have to write him in if you wanted to. Uh, But because of the population difference between the North and the South, he ultimately wins that. On December 20th, which is important because Lincoln's not actually in the White House yet. He's not actually President of the United States until January of the next year. Those... Uh, states, those six states, leave the Confederacy with South Carolinas. There's actually seven states that opt out before Lincoln has any power at all to change things. They develop a constant uh, Confederacy, a new country, basically, that is orientated based on states' rights and pro-slavery. Uh, Lincoln comes into Washington, D.C. He's been told that uh, there's an assassination plot against his life, so he dresses up as a female. That political cartoon kind of makes fun of him. Um, He does have things, actions that he can take. He can, one, compromise with the South and say, well, I hear what you're saying. Seven states, I'm going to work with you. He could have just said, I'm going to let them go, you know, let them do whatever they want, or take military action. In the end, he takes number, option number three, but he does it reluctantly. Okay. In his inaugural address, he pretty much says that, so read that over, have an understanding of what that means. Um, he says, you know, we are not enemies but friends, so he is trying to compromise in all this. He's trying to bring back things. He's trying to remind them that they're still part of the country. So that's it for now. I'll go over a couple of them in our Collaborate call. Hopefully you got something out of this lecture, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Be safe.